Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. A couple of emails for you. Pete at the PeteCalendarShow.com, and that is Calendar with a K-A-L-I-N-E-R. People are always surprised to find it spelled that way. Pete at the PeteCalendarShow.com or PeteCalendarShow at WBT.com. I'll get it either way. You can also hit me up on Twitter at Pete Calendar, which is where I saw... Twitter is where I saw uh, this guy, Noah Berlatsky, who I think was in Animal House, but I'm not sure. I don't know who the guy was, but he wrote a piece for Bloomberg.com. And the headline is QAnon and Sound of Freedom, the movie Sound of Freedom. QAnon and Sound of Freedom both rely on tired Hollywood tropes. All right, so there, I covered this last week when we were talking about Sound of Freedom and the movie and the, uh, the, this attack against the movie and the people in it and the guy whose uh, life story it was based on uh true you know real guy um tim ballard uh being played by jim caviezel and it was produced by this uh angel studios which is a small studio after they like fought to get the uh the rights from some i think it was disney actually uh that sat on the 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 script and wouldn't do it um and so there's been this attack on on these guys in the movie as being QAnon somehow. And the entry point for this guy at Bloomberg is that Donald Trump is planning to screen the movie at his New Jersey golf club this week. Uh, The film about agents fighting a child sex trafficking ring has been embraced by the far right and Christians who have helped boost it to more than $50 million in receipts at the box office. Could it be just a good movie? Is that possible? Noah, is it possible that it's just a good movie? Why does it... Like, why the focus on, you know, embraced by the far right? I mean, it's a movie about busting up child sex trafficking rings. And it's based on a true story. Why is that a problem? Shouldn't that be... I asked this question last week. Shouldn't that be something everybody can support? Right? Like, the abandonment of that position, <laughs> like, I'm taking the, the uh, you know, the anti-child sex trafficking position. Like, I'm taking, I will stand for that position, absolutely. If you choose to abandon it, uh, that's totally your call. I, I mean, I, I start to wonder why. He says... Many critics have linked Sound of Freedom to the pro-Trump QAnon conspiracy cult. They have also been startled by its mainstream success. Angel Studios, which created the thriller, insists that the movie itself is not related to QAnon. And, after sitting through the two-hour movie, I think Angel Studios has a point. The film does not explicitly reference QAnon talking points. (laughs) So, in other words, right, it doesn't... It doesn't advance any kind of... I don't even know what's QAnon anymore. I, I don't even know they're still around, but... 
Instead, in many ways, it echoes and reproduces themes and tropes around trafficking that are common in mainstream Hollywood cinema. Again, this is a true story. Okay, Sound of Freedom is not QAnon propaganda exactly, but it shows how closely QAnon propaganda mirrors common popular pulp narratives. So, wait a minute. Okay, so hang on. So the narrative is one that QAnon uses, so therefore it's still QAnon adjacent somehow because it's a narrative that all Hollywood uses or something. Here's his explanation. Sound of Freedom is centered on the kidnapping of two young Honduran children, Miguel and Rocio. Agent Ballard becomes aware of their plight while staking out a child abuser in the U.S. Defying the Homeland Security bureaucracy, he sets up a series of sting operations in Colombia, the last of which leads him into rebel-controlled territory to save Rocia from a militia leader. Now, although the movie is billed as being based on a true story, reporting suggests... so. Don't know if this is actually the case or it's just like a suggestion. Reporting suggests that Ballard frequently makes exaggerated claims and oversells his own contributions. Okay, so I hope you were sitting down for that revelation that a movie might not be 100% accurate. That there may be some artistic license, let me call it. I'm just inventing this brand new phrase, some artistic license. <laughs> right? So some of this might have been, I don't know, hyped up a bit for the movies. In 2020, his organization, Operation Underground Railroad, was investigated for using false claims about its successes to raise money, though charges were never filed. Okay. And then on Thursday, it was reported that he left the organization. Okay, does any of that have anything to do with QAnon? I'm, I'm kind of, I think I'm losing the plot here. Um, anti-trafficking experts have also argued that the film's presentation of trafficking is misleading. Okay, he says data also points to a different picture than what is depicted in the film. The counter-trafficking data collaborative, which collects information from around the world, found that 67% of the children who are sexually trafficked are 15 to 17 years old rather than young children. So this is, this is his argument. This is why he's like, oh, it's relying on these old Hollywood themes and tropes and stereotypes or something. Because they're actually, they're 15 to 17 years old mostly. In 41% of the cases, there's a family member involved. And so the story that they were telling, it really isn't completely accurate with the majority of the cases. Like, oh my God, really? This is... He goes on to say that behind those numbers are often stories of addiction, disowned LGBTQ plus people, and trading sex on the street to survive. That's why experts worry that Sound of Freedom's stranger danger narrative and the way it centers on victims who are as innocent and as sympathetic as possible may make it more difficult to organize help for less perfect victims when they are targeted by those close to them. So in other words, attention to the problem of human trafficking makes it harder to address the problem of human trafficking. This is his, this is his concern. <laughs> yeah, like, I kind of feel like, yeah, he's, yeah, I kind of feel like, uh, 
this is like uh, uh, infected by the wokeism to a degree. And uh, then in the next paragraph, he says, the film doesn't necessarily jibe with reality. It does very much fit into Hollywood's standard presentation of exploitation and trafficking from classics like Taxi Driver, Rambo, Last Blood, um, Eden, Taken. Um, he says, it's always the same script. A conspiratorial network generally run by people of color kidnaps an innocent child. A generally white hero must race to the rescue. Right? But in this case, Tim Ballard is white. He is white. And the, the kids that he went to save, they, they, were, they were Latino. So, so don't tell that story. Don't tell that part of the story. But I, I, like I'm, I'm almost wondering, why is this guy so adamant in taking down this movie? And then I came across a post from Andy No, who did, does all of the Antifa expose you know uh, undercover video journalism and the like uh and he posted that the guy who wrote this bloomberg opinion piece is leftist activist noah berlatsky he was the spokesperson for map an map advocacy group i should say called protasia map do you know what that is minor attracted person he was the spokesperson yeah, in 2017, he tweeted that pedophiles are a stigmatized group who get designated as deviants for hateful purposes. See? So I knew it! I knew it! How does this guy get to write for Bloomberg? That's nuts. Uh, let me go over here and get Dan on. Hello, Dan. Welcome to the program. What's going on? Hey, Pete. Hey. Nice warm day, huh? Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, I was just following you on the Sounds of Freedom thing, and... Um the liberals' blatant attempt to poison the well. You know, back in 1950, 51, um, actually, let me, let me get a little closer to home first. Our, our local favorite uh, congressman, uh, James Amos Mushmouth Clyburn, is really fond of using the word dog whistle. Mm. And back in 1950, 51, any time, um, shortly after Joe McCarthy started his great legendary commie hunt, Anytime somebody wanted to characterize something as bad or, or not great, was really awful for the country, they would simply call out a communist conspiracy or something straight from the communist manifesto. Simply the use of the word communist lit the United States up after the McCarthy era. That's what's going on today with this whole QAnon thing. That's the dog whistle for liberals. All you have to do is say QAnon. They go, oh, bad, orange man, ooh. Well, yeah, in fact... Uh, they literally say this guy in his uh, in his review. The very last paragraph says, "So is Sound of Freedom a QAnon dog whistle, or is it just another thriller?" The answer is that whatever the filmmaker's intentions, it functions as both. So there it is. So like, even if they weren't trying to make it a QAnon dog whistle, oh well, I guess it is. Yep, great point. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a. Uh, it's just this little shorthand that they use. And look, the the point is not to persuade. The the point is for you to surrender. Right? That's why the ad hominem attacks or you know the, the, the conflict, that's that's why it is sought. It is not sought to clarify or to persuade or to convince. It's simply to have you surrender. It's shut uppery. Right? That's all it is. It's just shut uppery in a different form. Um 
app Patriot Girl in a Pete tweet says, Pete, there is only one reason not to support that movie and its anti-child trafficking position, and we all know what that reason is. <laughs> uh, yeah, how to like this guy literally was the spokesman for Protasia, which is not some sort of uh, uh, prescription for men. It's it is a it is an MAP advocacy group. Minor attracted person. They got they got an acronym. I didn't even know they had an acronym. I I. I feel like I'm pretty up to speed on current events. You know, I mean, I may not be taking the pulse of the cultural zeitgeist at every single moment, but I know it's breathing. Right? I could see it moving. I, you know, I don't need to have my finger on the pulse of it all the time. I know it's, I know it breathes, but like I wasn't even aware of this group, Protasia. I'm just going to suggest something. Maybe. Can we check their computers? I'm just saying, if you check their computers... Yeah. They, okay, I'm also today years old when I learned a term from uh, from Ikifu on Twitter. Hebephiles? 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 I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, H-E-B-E. File. So I w I'm just lumping everybody as like pedophile, but apparently there's different categories based on who the adult or the age of the adult or the age that the adult is attracted to. Let me say it that way, right? You got different categories, prepubescent, pubescent, and then there's another one, ephibi, ephibo, ephibo, I don't care. I don't care. So there's hebephile is like, 11 to 14 years old or something and then yeah so they're different age groups and so i was i was not aware that we break these things down i guess the scientists did all their science and such and they they've identified these things as different based on the targeted victims but it's all to me it's all pedophilia that to me it's all pedophilia um this guy who was the spokesman for the for the the protasia group who wrote this review of sound of freedom like really of all of the guys that you get to write the review of the movie you chose this guy i'm sure he offered i'm sure he offered but they can create he says they can create coalitions of feeling disgust and righteous rage that connect conservative conspiracy theorists with the mainstream that's why trump is screening it and that's why its popularity is ominous oh my gosh so we're supposed to be sound of freedom don't see it I don't know I, I kind of want to see it more now yeah because if the if the if the spokesman for protasia is against it I just uh, I'm thinking I'm for it just automatically you know just automatically I received this message from Dan who says Pete it is pronounced hedophile from the root word hedonist hedonism or the pursuit of pleasure or sensual self-indulgence always happy to help thank you Dan hedophile I thought it might be connected. Um, just saw this story break at the Times, the UK Times. Millions of emails written by military staff at the Pentagon have been mistakenly sent to the West African government of Mali. Which, I don't know, I don't know if we're as if they were asking like for bank account information from the West African government officials. I don't know if it goes that, yeah. No, these are just emails written by 
military staff, millions of them, that were sent to Mali. By the way, Mali is a uh, Russian ally. And apparently, according to the Times, this was due to a typing error. I don't know who, why would you be sending millions of emails to anybody? I don't know. The Pentagon email used by the military ends with the suffix dot M-I-L, but by leaving out the I by mistake, the emails have been going to M-L, the domain used by Mali, a country that has been hit by terrorism and civil war since 2012. None of the misdirected emails have included classified intelligence... At least not yet. Right. <laughs> this is the first, this is how you roll the story out. At first you say this, and then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we actually did find some, but it was only a few. And then it, it's like the next thing is like, yeah, it's like all of them. They got the nuclear codes, right? Something like that. Sensitive information, though, did include the itinerary of General James McConville, the U.S. Army Chief of Staff, before a trip to Indonesia this year. The emails also have included the medical and tax records of personnel, maps of installations, as well as photos. Yeah, maybe do more DEI trainings. I think that'll solve the, that'll solve the problem. Um, from Twitter world, Elon Musk. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. This goes to the business. I know we're focused a lot on business stuff today um, and economics, and, and, and that's fine. So uh, Elon Musk, he said over the weekend, I saw this tweet that he sent out. Um, he said, uh, revenue is not looking good at Twitter. Advertising revenue for Twitter has dropped 50% amid what he called a heavy debt load. And this is just as the competition for with the platform intensified when Mark Zuckerberg's Threads app launched, Right. Musk tweeted Saturday that Twitter still has a negative cash flow amid an estimated 50% decline in advertising revenue. He said in April that the company was roughly breaking even as advertisers who had left the platform following his acquisition had since returned. Though a later New York Times report indicated that ad revenue was down 59% over the previous year. Threads is not even hosting advertisements on its platform. So it's not even competing with Twitter for revenue. Although there are companies that are interested in having ads over there. The platform started paying content creators for posting advertisements this week. Wait a minute. I can get paid by Twitter? Some users reporting payouts of over $100,000 though it's unclear what sort of posts or which users are eligible for advertising payments. Well, I can guess. Um, threads, this is interesting. Threads, and by the way, this comes from uh, Forbes.com. Uh, th- so Threads is the, is the app that Zuckerberg and you know, the parent company is Meta, uh, because they got Facebook, they've got Instagram, and now Threads. And WhatsApp, I think they also control the WhatsApp, right? Is that right? I don't, I don't remember. But... Um, I thought this was interesting because, um, first off, people are going over to Threads as a refuge from Twitter, and they think that they're going to go over there and it's going to be nice. It's going to be polite. 
and friendly. And it's going to be better because all of those icky MAGA Trumpers aren't going to be around. Those right-wing conservatives aren't going to be around. This is going to be our safe space, right? So they all go over to threads and uh, then they get then they get popped. They get, yeah, they, they run afoul of the algorithm or whatever. Somebody reports something that they say because they're not, they're not polite enough, right? They think everybody else is the problem, not them. They get flagged. And here's the best part. Their Instagram accounts get blocked. So you've now, not only that, you've given Zuckerberg, it's like something like 20 different data points that he mines out of your threads that you give up control over. So you you give up more control, you give up more information to uh, to Meta, and if you make a mistake, you say something that the computer AI doesn't like, um, uh, or or you get into a, an argument with somebody, and you say something to them. Now the penalty, yeah, okay, fine, your Threads account, but the Instagram account gets taken down too. Talk about eggs in one basket here. It's hilarious. Um, but Threads. The competitor, they reached a hundred million users as of Monday morning, making the app the fastest growing platform in history. Thread now look, they did it right. They rolled the thing out right and they connected it to the Instagram accounts. So and, and I think even to Facebook. I don't well, yeah, I I'm sure they will at some point, right? So you um you have an easier launch there. Because it's connected into the look. I have an Instagram account. I don't do anything with it. I don't think I've ever actually sent anything on Instagram. But I have the <laughs> I have the account. Um, Threads uh, most successful went way beyond their expecta- uh, expectations. Despite the record breaking launch, the app recorded a decline in user engagement last week. Though this, according to Sensor Tower data, the average time spent on the app declined by 18% day over day between July 7 and July 13. Meanwhile, the average time spent on Twitter was six times as long. Right. So this is the problem that everybody predicted Threads or any other competitor has had, which is that not everybody goes over. The thing, people are already on Twitter. They've cultivated followings. They've built their profiles, and they, they enjoy the product. And so... Getting everybody that you follow and follows you to go over to another platform and to abandon Twitter, that's a heavy lift. It was for Parler and for Gab and for Mastodon and now for Threads, right? More than half of Twitter's top advertisers left the platform after Musk acquired it. He said the platform would work to alleviate concerns from advertisers, but he says freedom of speech is paramount. Unless you're making fun of him, I think. Oh, and before I forget, have you got your ticket to the Heritage Life Skills event yet? I'll be there. The annual event is put on by Carolina Readiness Supply, and you can learn all sorts of ways to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables. I'll be there Saturday evening. Check out the schedule at carolinareadiness.com. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness can help you. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Uh, I wonder how many Threads users are bots. That's a very good question, Lance. Um... Good golly, Miss Molly Pentagon. Ah. 
It's Ma- M-A-L-I. Mali? Is that how you pronounce it? About the military emails all going to Mali? Because uh, they left out the I in dot M-I-L. The most important thing that is always left out of the reports of the Biden administration's blunders is who got fired. The next thing to look for is uh, who in the Pentagon is actually promoted, says Cirque de la Sol. Uh, let's go over and get uh, Mark on the program. Hello, Mark. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Pete. Hey. Hey, I wanted to, um, I wanted to um, take a sighting here for a moment. I had a good laugh uh, late last week that I heard that the FTC is considering an appeal on the Microsoft Activision merger. <laughs> yeah. But that's not the reason why I called. Um, with this, uh, with Meta having threads and threads linking back to Instagram, and if you hit the, uh, gosh, you violate the rule. I said it's part of contract of... Uh, yeah, the terms of terms service, of you violate the TOS, yeah. TOS, yeah. And they can link, so it's all linked together, and you have Facebook, and I said, uh, there's no way they... Uh, if they did that, I would be the first to complain to somebody, a pro bono that knows tech, and say, hey, this is unfair competition. You can't... Something's free. You can't uh, be that onerous with it. But anyway, with Twitter, yes, I happen to have a 1% confidence that Twitter is a legacy um, legacy uh, social media, internet marketing platform. Well, if everybody bought a blue check, maybe it's time for conservatives and we just do a hostile takeover. Those that are left on Twitter, just buy your blue check and you may be able to do, maybe able to tweet longer. Well, I do. I I did. I bought my I yeah. bought the blue check mainly because of tweet deck and how I interact with Twitter and they rate limited me, and so fine. You know what? I'll pay the eight dollars a month. Um, and you know if it helps keep the company solvent because I do use it. I use it a lot. I'm a I'm a big time user of the platform. I appreciate the call, Mark. Uh, to your point about litigation, Elon Musk is suing. Well, he's threatening. He's threatening to sue. So this is over at redstate.com, a piece by Nick Arama. I like to say it, Nick Arama. But um, his, his last name is A-R-A-M-A, Arama. He says, it was a very good thing for free speech when Elon Musk took over Twitter. That very freedom drove the liberals mad, and many said that they were going to flee to other venues. Yet they stayed and still pontificated on Twitter. But it stood to reason that the powers that would try to take on Musk, or the powers that be, would still try to take on Musk. They don't like to lose control of the narrative. Now, Mark Zuckerberg's challenge to Twitter, you know, and he's claiming he's got like all these signups, they're now over 100 million. Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, immediately noted that they were going to be collecting all kinds of data on you. He said, all your threads are belong to us, which is a it's a meme. All your base belong to us. Anyway, not important. He's saying he's because Dorsey is working on another Twitter competitor as well. Um, 
Musk had a little fun joining in the mocking of the Threads launch as well, including that Threads was mostly things copied and pasted from Twitter. That would just, (laughs) it's very similar to what Trump did with the Truth Social stuff. I never see Trump's communiques unless somebody screenshots it and puts it in Twitter. I never see them. I'm not on Truth Social. Like, I'm only one man. I Like, there's a limit. I think you should, we should be restricted somehow or another. Like, there's, there needs to be, like, some sort of United Nations law that says you can only be on a certain number, like three. Three social media sites, that's it, so you got to choose wisely, you know? Anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm not actually in favor of that. Twitter is threatening to sue Meta over, quote, systematic, willful, and unlawful misappropriation of Twitter's trade secrets and intellectual property, as well as scraping of Twitter's data. They laid it all out in a cease and desist letter that was sent from Twitter's lawyer, Alex Spiro. So remember when everybody started getting rate limited a couple of weeks back? That's when I signed up for the blue check mark because that was a way to get around the... Um, to get around the uh, the rate limit. And so what Musk was describing in those tweets, which I didn't really understand what the whole scraping thing was about, the data scraping, but apparently they just like, they they scroll through and they just collect all, they harvest all of these profile names and all of the, the keystrokes, massive programs that creates a big drain and strain on the Twitter servers. But also it seems like he was using their stuff their information in order to build out their own base or something, their user base? I don't know. Um, He said, uh, Musk said, competition is fine, cheating is not. Um, And he noted there's already censorship underway on threads. Um, And so Nick Arama says, look, if you want to be censored and data mined, then I guess it's a good thing for you to uh, head on over to threads. But I'm suspecting that it isn't going to go very well or do very well with this approach, except maybe uh, for uh, just among people on the left who want to hear themselves in a censored echo chamber. So that, that that's kind of been... That's been my view of it also. Um, I haven't even been over there. I haven't even checked it out. I'm Because I, I look at it like Mastodon and Gab and Parler and like... I've seen enough. All right, stick around. Brett Winnable's up next. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.